Hi, everybody. Uh, this is the Bull and the Badger podcast. I'm Vanessa, and I'm the Badger. I almost said bull. <laughs> and I'm April. I'm the bull. And um, this podcast is an off- offshoot of Vanessa's documentary called The Laundromat. That's right, everybody. The Laundromat. It's about dirty laundry. Not so literally. It's definitely about how Asian American families have trouble talking to each other, what it's like uh, growing up and trying to figure out how to relate to others in your community and um, trying to kind of stop the cycles of silence and shame. And so um, we... Um, we want to give you access to the trailer and things like that. And you can find that at, at the laundromat.com. And that's something that both April and I have worked on. Not only is she in my doc as, um, an interviewee, but she's also a contributor in terms of turning in stories. And so go check that out. Um, but we also are doing this podcast as a way to kind of just keep the conversation going. So, um, do you have anything else you want to add, April? Well, no, we, well, yes. <laughs> we want to keep the conversation going and we want mental health to be something that is not always depressing and is not always somber. It can be constructive and fun and entertaining and enlightening. And um, yeah, that's all I had to add. Thank you. I think, um, so today we wanted to talk about like, the LGBT members of the Asian American community um, and just kind of the specific issues that, that, you know, they face. Um, I think that there's always kind of a reluctance to talk about it, but more and more, you know, um, the culture is opening up so that there is less silence and things like that. But, you know, it still exists. And I think, um, and I don't have any personal experience, but like, I think that Asian Americans probably encounter very specific cultural contextual things and i mean just to start this off i i think um we went to an all all asian high school well it was an all asian it wasn't like it wasn't like a it wasn't like an all girls catholic school or something like that vanessa on that piece of information please and 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 basically just like in the last episode you said all comedians just take drugs just all the time wait that's not true i don't understand (laughs) scientifically come on just look no okay all right fine well um i i think keep, whatever vanessa says just turn it down a notch <laughs> and then you'll get a little closer Take to the truth grain of salt question mark <laughs> um i started saying question mark by the way because when i'm like on siri like i just oh no yeah so i like say all my punctuation now like this hey comma april comma <laughs> what and about them gobbledygook from you and i have to go what and no time is saved. No, no time. Um, we tried though. Sorry, Siri. You still suck. So, I, I guess <laughs> my 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 first. Um, I would I would I want to say like I'm a little like Liz Lemon growing up. Like, like I, like I can't wait for this. Yeah, this is this is gonna be it. But like, she would end up like dating all these gay guys, and I think <laughs> for me, going through high school, like I ended up like going to two different high school dances with gay guys and like one of them was out and one of them was not and they end up being the best dates but like it's just like a funny like that's how life is like you just run into like all stripes of life but until you have that conversation you're just like something could happen tonight but no but you you, and you mentioned that your straight dates were terrible oh yeah no that was that was the funniest part about this and that's why i like telling this story i'm like 
these guys were like super attentive and wonderful and there's no like stereotype i'm sure there's like obviously lgbt members <laughs> that are just not nice people right but like i just want to call all the straight guys that went to the different um different dances with me and tell them look get some tips all right get, get- what, what, what would tips would you give like, don't just go abandon your date. Don't just, like, walk off. Like, Aww. they would ask me if I wanted something to drink, if I was cold. Like, someone... I remember... I, he, like... I started walking out. He's like, oh, I'll meet up with you. And then and then I started walking out. And then he ran out after me. He's like, oh, my gosh, are you cold? Here, let me give you my, my jacket. He, like, ran out after me. And I was like... That's that- very sweet. Oh, yeah. No, he was like... It, it's, it's not even the idea of, like, opening doors. The idea of opening doors, right, is to be courteous. But it was the idea of him thinking of someone else besides himself. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's kind of my... Probably pretty hard for a teenage boy. Yeah. Yeah. With only... I don't know what other minds. I, I can't... I don't have insight into the male <laughs> mind, unfortunately. Or fortunately, maybe. Okay. I don't know. But, um, so today... Um, to talk to us about some of these things, um, we have proms, um, proms specifically. We're, <laughs> we're talking about prom today. Chilly um, evenings. <laughs> I know, chilly, not so romantic evenings, but platonically fun. Um, so uh, Sid is here. Um, I've he went to high school with us, but we never actually hung out with him in our three thousand person high school. We didn't meet until later. Um, he actually um, is the founder of Therapists of Color LA, which um, I'd love for him to go into more detail later. But he's um, basically studied psychology at UCLA. He got a master's of counseling from Cal State LA. And he's um, not just a mental health therapist, but he's definitely an activist and um, loves to train others in the ways of therapy. And, and just, um, you know, trying to... Um, expand our view of what, you know, how we should practice social justice within therapy and, and, and talking about race and privilege and power, especially within um, Los Angeles and um, the very many ways that we've stayed kind of narrow-minded about those things. So, um, Sid, do you want to talk any more about yourself? Thank you for the introduction, Vanessa. No uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do recall us going to high school together. I do remember <laughs> I was not there for that particular incident when you were at a dance. And <laughs> needs to be, like, warned a little bit about this. <laughs> Wait, does everybody still keep in touch? I don't. Um, I remember him. The last time I saw him was in 2001 when we were in Sean Tours together, the show choir of Arcadia High School. Uh, those were good times. And I think we've all changed and grown up since then. One would hope so. Have you always had such a wonderful radio voice, or did this come after high school? I've been told many times that I should probably be on some type of broadcast. (laughs) But thank you. (laughs) It works very well in the therapy room as well. (laughs) People are like, I would have opened up to that voice, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just tell me sweet nothing, sweet nothing, sweet nothing, sweet nothing. Yeah, whispered in the wind. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? Because you're ready to open up now. <laughs> well, okay. Like, um, can you talk a little bit about your work with Therapists of Color LA first? Sure thing. Um, Therapists of Color LA is something that I believe was needed at the time because 
with such diversity in Los Angeles, you're not finding the same level of diversity and cultural sensitivity in the mental health profession. And unfortunately, it seems like there are two tiers of systems, one being the um, community mental health system, which is funded by Medi-Cal. So most of the clinicians of color that I am aware of are working in these agencies. And so clientele have to be, unfortunately, poor enough to be eligible for Medi-Cal to receive these services that are culturally competent. Everybody else that has a job that has uh, mental health benefits or is able to pay out of pocket, basically, if they're not eligible for Medi-Cal, they're also not eligible for some of these culturally competent services. So this is my way of bridging that gap by trying to um, list both private practice clinicians of color and also those that are in Medi-Cal agencies on the same directory so that any, clin uh, any consumer can have the full range of options available to them on the same site, and also to dispel a lot of the myths and misconceptions of mental health services, especially for the Asian American and also other communities of color. That's awesome. I think that... Um that's the first thing I think I would look for. Like I haven't gone and on the search to like look for a therapist, but when I was like, after my documentary, I had a lot of people approach me and say, hey, do you know these people? And I, I only knew about the faith-based ones, but there's a, probably a variety of um, therapists out that, that, they're, that are there to help those different groups of people out there. And I think um, were you surprised by the amount or are you disheartened at the, the lack or? I am honestly disheartened by the lack. Um, one of the reasons why I changed my focus from like research psychology to more clinical psychology and working with people was that uh, during the year 2007, I was living in North Carolina when uh, the Virginia Tech happened. Mm -hmm. And so I knew of very many people around me that were alumni or associated with Virginia Tech. And even some of the research assistants that I was working with, um, they had known of the shooter's family personally. And when I was doing a lot of reading and research about all the different aspects of how um, the news media was reporting this event, a lot of them were very skewed towards separating him as just this evil person with mental illness and yeah. the only sensitive uh, news media publication that I found regarding that story was the LA Times and they were providing a lot more context about how he felt so isolated as a um, a student of ethnic minority status and not being very connected even within the Korean student population there right. wow. yeah and so if you can't find culturally sensitive services here in L.A., how would we expect them to find it there in Blacksburg, Virginia? Right. So that's where a lot of my passion comes into serving um, individuals of color and reducing stigma of mental health services. Very cool. All right. Sorry to be the downer there, but no. that, that's, that's where all this context is for where my passion is. Sure. No, I mean, like, my entry into Asian American mental health is obviously not like, oh, yes, I, I traipsed onto this thing and I felt really good about it. You know, I think y your access into these kinds of topics is always something that's very, like, serious, you know. And um, it's good to have those conversations. I think that you being on the ground floor of like when those things were going down like it kind of rocked the asian american community a little bit because a lot of times when you think about mental health within the asian american community it's very like it's usually connected with suicide because their way of 
acting out is to hurt themselves. But then I think Virginia Tech was a shock, um, also because it was, it was a, it happened to a, a community. Like it, it affected them in a very specific way because he, he decided to take other people's lives as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of times people were saying like, oh, we should have seen the signs or how come nobody really asked. A lot of people just don't know how to ask the questions to express concern for somebody else. And because we're brought up in such a fear-based society, we're always taught to like, you know, don't talk to strangers, just watch out for yourself. But oftentimes, most of the people that are suffering and alone, they just want somebody to reach out to them. And that's the difficult part of trying to make that social change, that you have to be that exception. What's one of the coolest things that has come out of Therapists of Color LA? Uh, One of the coolest things so far is just the amount of passion that I'm finding from some of the others that I'm working with right now. Uh, We are still a company that's trying to get off the ground. We have to get approval from the board to become a service like this because um, the board regulates all these different kinds of things. But Wait, who is this? The board. Okay, so the it board. Sounds like capital T and B. Sure, yeah. So the Board of Behavioral Sciences is the governing board, the consumer board for the state of California regarding uh, licensure and regulation for marriage and family therapists and licensed clinical social workers, uh, which is the board that I am under. So, um, in order to provide these types of services and do this type of advertising, we have to run through them all of our materials to make sure it's all legit. You can't just willy-nilly be like, oh, we're providing this service. Uh, Some organizations have done that, and not everybody gets called out on what they're doing. So we're trying to, because we feel like we're doing something so different and so needed that we feel like we we might be making some enemies along the way. So we want to cover our bases. Copy that. Yeah. All right. I love CYA. I'm always like about CYA. <laughs> um, so let's also um, move into the topic of, of that we're supposed to be talking about, which is proms. No, just kidding. Um, we just started wanting to talk about um, LGBT issues within the Asian American community and kind of, um, yeah, like what, what are the unique problems for Asian Americans who, you know, don't identify as straight? Uh, there's a lengthy answer to that one. First, just it's difficult to be anything other than straight when you're living in a straight world. And it's hard enough for uh, the dominant population, let's say Caucasian, uh, Caucasian Americans, to come out and all that kind of stuff. But for the Asian American community, you have that as well as layers of more communal identity. Uh, When I say that, I mean that a lot of our identity as Asian Americans is related to our relationships with other people, meaning like our parents, our community, uh, perceptions about us. And um, I'm not sure if if you guys have already covered this in a previous podcast, but like the whole Joy Luck Club, like, oh, my child is the best chess player. My child has the best lobster. We should keep a tally board of um, Joylet Club references. I definitely did one during the car when I was driving Christina. I was like, Joylet Club? And she didn't laugh, but it's fine. Well, this is our second on-air reference to Joylet Club. Um, I reference it because it rang true for a lot of our generation. Um, Maybe it still rings true for the continuing generation, but um, it was a side of the story that wasn't told before then. And a lot of it is what 
do others perceive of me? And in the Eurocentric perspective, you just kind of define yourself and it's like, screw everybody else, I'm going to do my thing. Whereas in the Asian community, it's not as easy as that. Um, you have to consider, like, if I am coming out, what is that going to do to my parents in terms of their acceptance of me and other people's acceptance of them in their respective communities? Um, I'm trying to be a regular member of the San Gabriel Valley Asian Pacific Islander PFLAG meeting, which is Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. Um, it's a support group meeting, and it is one of the few ones that is specifically geared towards Asian American issues. So they have a lot of um, encouragement for uh, people to come out to their families and their families are also represented there as well. One of the more touching moments is to see people that might look like your own parents being so accepting and so encouraging of their children, of somebody that could be just like you in living an authentic life. And I think in the grand scheme of things, that's a lot of what we deal with as Asian Americans, that between the two cultures of the traditional culture and the American culture, we want to live authentically and try to choose our own path. Whereas the traditional, quote unquote, is to just follow the orders of our parents and be obedient. I know that was a lot to just throw on down here. No, no, it's good. Because I think it opens up a lot of discussions like PFLAG, for instance. Um, is this um, a group that's only for a specific age group or? Not at all. It's uh, for any age group. Um, we are trying to reach out more towards the younger populations because the meeting is comprised almost entirely of adults. Um, so you have um, independent adults, you have same-sex parents present, you have uh, grandparents even. And the meeting is primarily held in English, but if we do have enough members of a certain language, and it's usually the Mandarin, uh, we'll split up in half and the Mandarin speakers will go to one group where they can talk about more of their specific issues in their primary language. So that is one thing that is a feature that you don't find for a lot of other support groups, especially for the LGBT population. Um, What's the vibe during these meetings? Um, it's held at a church and the church is very open and accepting. Um, the vibe is that there's about 30 members or so on a regular basis. Sometimes the circle's bigger than others. Um, there are a few facilitators. It's very open and welcoming. As Asian Americans, you know, wherever there's going to be food, we're, yeah, we'll like, be there. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, th there, there's definitely food provided. <laughs> food and beverage, non-alcoholic. Um, and what day and time are these? <laughs> <laughs> it's usually the fourth Sunday of every month. I think the next one is coming up this coming Sunday, or I'm not sure when this is uh, going to yeah, be Yeah, right broadcast. before Memorial Day. Yeah. So um, you can check them out. Patriotically themed snacks. <laughs> it's more just like ethnic foods that we're all familiar with, as well as like whatever is convenient, like, oh, hey, let's just order a pizza or something. But there's always food available. And um, there's a really good representation of different... Uh, presentations of, in terms of gender identity. Um, the topics are always ones that we can find community around. Um, one of the big questions that is like hypothetical that goes unanswered is, is gay culture white gay culture? Mm. Yeah. Super interesting. What's, what's the alternative if it's not? Um, what is non-white gay culture? Like, how can we define that, right? Yeah. 
And so gay culture, we think about um, like the will and grace of mainstream media. Like upper middle class. Yeah. And wine and cheese and all these other types of things. Fine art? I or, would, just, or just laughs? I would like to <laughs> think that fine art can be appreciated regardless of your sexual orientation yeah, and gender Vanessa. and all Agreed. that. Agreed. No, but I'm just saying, like, what is the will and grace just reception? Get just get out of here. Okay, excuse me while I go stereotype <laughs> other people over there. Yeah, check your biases there. Come on. <laughs> I've been checked. Thank you, everybody. Okay. But um, now that we are seeing much more openness or, like, progress towards openness in terms of um, LGBT individuals both here domestically in the United States and internationally, how are they defining their own gay communities? And what are they all about? Um, one of the things that is a difficulty within the gay community is this sense of like superficiality that uh, so much is based on how youthful you can look and how attractive you can look. And um, the concepts of aging gracefully are not really as discussed. You see older individuals in their 40s and 50s trying to act like they were still in their 20s. And that seems concerning to me because if you're not because you're not following the dominant life cycle stages of heterosexual life, um, you get educated, you start dating somebody, you start a family, you raise them up, then you retire, all that kind of stuff. For a lot of same-sex couples, Maybe they're not as interested in kids. Some are. Not everybody is. But what do you do instead with your time, your money, and your ability to have influence? And I've, I've been finding that the most rewarding stories have been that they contribute back to their community to help make it a little easier for the next generation. Can you give examples of anybody, like an Asian-American same-sex couple that's kind of giving back? Uh, the biggest one you would think of is like George Takei. Mm-hmm. Um, Aside from him being a celebrity of Star Wars, I'm sorry, Star Trek. <gasps> Whoa! I was watching Star Wars last uh, night and Star Trek, so I'm sorry. That's my. Wait, okay. Can, now can we check? Can we yes, check? Yes, please, Sid? please check my biases. Nerd check. Yes, I've had my geek card revoked. <laughs> but aside from being a celebrity, there, um, being authentically who he is and having no fear of saying what is right regarding some of the religious um, religious discrimination laws that have been happening in a variety of other states. Um, I wish that he would run for some kind of public office, but I don't know if that's in his agenda. But he is somebody that I definitely admire and um, has a lot of influence. Yeah, I'm still kicking myself in the ass for saying Star Wars right now, but yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah, want to make up for it and give us some we're all deep shocked. trivia to prove yourself, to redeem yourself? Um, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so at first I was going to say your card is suspended, but now it's officially revoked. I'm oh. sorry, dude. I'm sorry. Okay. You have to, you have to do some research. Um, I wanted to ask, um, just kind of coming back to some of the specific um, issues that, you know, Asian American LGBT face and the idea of silence and shame, right? So you're talking about in Eurocentric kind of like Western base, there's the idea of guilt and that makes it hard enough to come out. But for Asian Americans experiencing shame within the community, and I actually had a friend who, um, she never officially came out. 
to her family, but her family knew. And then there was like, it was like said, and then it was never mentioned again. And she's actually happy with that. And I, I'm wondering about, you know, coming out stories for most Asian American LGBT, like whether it's like, if it goes unspoken, is there still um, a fulfilling experience for them? Like, do they, is there, do you know what I'm saying? Do you hear where I'm going with this? Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is if, if an individual comes out to their families and they can acknowledge but not celebrate it, is it still... Um, yeah, well, what's even the range? Like, I'm, I'm sure you could probably go through life and never, you know, never have that um, experience of coming out or, right. and then still live, like, that life that you wanted. At the same time, um, when, when you're at PFLAG meetings, is it mm-hmm. kind of... I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this question. I just, I felt, I felt sad that she couldn't share with like, her family. Is the coming out experience for Asian Americans different? I think the is short it, answer is not as complete. I suppose the short answer is yes. Uh, it is different. Um, one of the recent meetings that I remember somebody speaking on that um, was that when this woman's teenage son came out, she had to come out to her friends and family and say, "I have a gay son that I love with all my heart," and that's something that not every parent is willing to do, unfortunately. Um, you do have to decide if you want to be public and take a stand and say, you know, this is authentically who I am. This is authentically who my relationships are with. If you are that person identifying or the parent of the person identifying, it's not easy. And your, your true supportive relationships will make themselves known. Actually, okay. So, um, I think I've formed the question a little better in my head now. But like, in terms of being authentically yourself and identifying as you know an Asian American, can you say that authentically? You would never come out because <laughs> because your culture says you know like that you're not. Do you know what I'm saying? You're acting on that side of your culture, and right. I don't want to vilify Asian American culture like shame and silence like sometimes like acting within the community and the community's interests is good right but then there's times where obviously it can have an effect on like a negative effect on who you are right right in an ideal situation we all want to be able to live authentic lives but the reality is as i'm sure um some other people might have mentioned as well that there there comes a risk to living authentically that um Fortunately, we live here in California where there's a lot more support, but in other countries or in other areas of the United States, being out means that you might be a target. And so you have to really pick and choose what is your level of comfort in letting who know and why. I, I think that's the shortest answer I can give you on that. But In terms of even PFLAG, um, what's what's the process of like, What's the process that most like parents go through, and like has it been a mostly positive one? Do you think P flag represents the most positive of the stories, or is there a range? I think P flag offers the support to family members and friends that are coming in with not a lot of information. So there is a huge effort to provide that information and to inform parents about, like, you know, what does it actually mean that your child might be gay? that your child might be transgender or whatever they're identifying. Um, there, 
at this particular meeting, they also have events where parents can get together and just have tea because, you know, that's a big part of our culture as well. Just having, you know, chit chat, maybe dim sum or something. And it doesn't necessarily have to go straight into a person's sexuality, but it's being around others that are accepting of and having that be the bridge into a change of heart. types of people do you ever come across people who are outspokenly against your Un- unfortunately yes and um i i perceive of oppression discrimination to be a- across the board in different ways um I, as asian americans we have a certain uh flavor of discrimination as um men or women we have levels of privilege and oppression as well Um, Unfortunately, sometimes when I speak to others that are prominent in certain communities, um, they are are pro-Asian but anti-gay. And those are the times that break my heart because individuals can't see beyond their own experiences to have the empathy to say like, you know, I know what it's, I know what it is to feel like when you don't feel like you belong, that your stories are not being displayed positively and just being who you are means that you have to feel less than so for someone to experience that in their own community but not extend the same olive branch to a different community that other people might also be a part of is the difficult part of the advocacy like how do you react when you come across those kinds of opinions i have to take a deep breath and just say like maybe they're not ready for this conversation right now and it it is something that I would like to see change, but I can't control that. Have you ever seen the reverse where um, they're pro-gay but anti or unable to like recognize minorities and white privilege and things like that? That's a part of the issue within um, a lot of the LGBT advocacy um, that a lot of pro-gay organizations aren't acknowledging the racism among the gay population. Um, I don't really participate in a lot of these dating sites, but I've been told by others that there will be explicit restrictions on like, no Asians, thank you, all that kind of stuff on people's like grinder profile or something. I see the look on your face right now, Vanessa. You're just I'm like, just what? Shocked. Like I- WTF? Isn't it like all Asians are only Asians? I feel like that would be more. Because I, I think as Asian American feel, females, like uh, April and my experiences are that people are biased towards Asians or want to date Asians for like fetish reasons or things like that. Right, right. But when you're talking about um, gay relationships and um, when when men are seeking men, most of the time Asians aren't part of that spectrum. Oftentimes. I'm not going to say as a whole, I'm just going to say that I've, I've seen some of those um, restrictions put on people's profiles and such. 
yeah discrimination of all stripes right right so, mm, interesting um i guess um i wanted to talk really quickly too um about when you were talking about um the mandarin speaking group mm-hmm. going into and having their own space i'm curious about um language kind of things like how you know because like culture and language are so linked and Mm -hmm. i'm wondering in the mandarin language in chinese or in korean whatever you know um whatever parents like like heart languages like are there words for gays and lesbians and do they need to be like change to more positive words, you know, because like I think about like words that we have like that were passed down through the generations about like white people or mm-hmm. black people, and they're they we had to change those words because they were not positive words, right? Know? Right, because of the negative connotation and such. Um, I don't speak any of these other languages fluently enough to <laughs> oh, be able no. to say that, but me neither, which is why we're I was all hoping- monolinguists here. <laughs> We're all ashamed for different reasons. <laughs> for for different reasons, of course. Um, again, from what I hear, yes, the vocabulary is skewed and it does take a negative connotation. Um, Ash Beckham, who is very outspoken out in Colorado and Boulder, she did a video um, about when you can and can't say the word gay to describe something. And I think it was very informative because if you're describing a person and they're gay, then okay, great. But if you're describing something that you believe is either unfair or negative, and people say like, oh, that's so gay, then you're changing the lexicon to mean that anything that is gay is lesser than or negative. And so those are the things that I pay attention to. I'm a pretty big language nerd. Um, Not Star Trek, though. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, not Star Trek. I... Still am more of a Star Wars fan, but I'm sure someone will forgive me out there. <laughs> yeah, just the, not the Trekkers. That's fine. Right, right. Cool. Vanessa's taking you to task. <laughs> I, I, I doing it to cover for my own like lack of nerddom. I just want street. Oh, we guys. we have had other conversations about our nerdy interests and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, we did go into length about video games. Yes, that and also My Little Pony. <gasps> Brony what is this? Yeah, Brony what is up. Are you part of that situation? Um, so, yes, I am. And I'm trying not to be ashamed of that as well. <laughs> well, please explain it to me because I have only seen like images. I don't know. Okay, so My Little Pony Friendship is Magic is the reboot of the original series. And it was started with more of like a feminist twist. So the... Uh, main characters all represent a different aspect of friendship and a different expression of femininity as well. Oftentimes when you see portrayals of women, you have like one token woman and she's supposed to be like just that person, right? And often sexualized. Um, So this is a series that takes a very different perspective. Just like, okay, all the main characters are female and they're not waiting for any guys to come in to solve their problems. They solve the problems on their own and it's usually through one of the aspects of friendship that they're being tested on whether it be um loyalty or generosity or whatever like jealousy or something like that those are the issues that they deal with and it's a very um what do they call it they call it entertaining and educational oh edutainment edutainment yeah it's a made-up word it's great okay yeah they call it that and um i really enjoy the show and if i 
could have my clients watch it and take me seriously, like I would recommend it to them as well. Um, I have some uh, friends of mine whose kids also watch the show and they love it. And when I talk about it to them, um, while also talking about Star Wars, it makes sense. It'll make sense. <laughs> um, the little girl that I spent a lot of time with, who is pretty much like my my niece at this point. Um, she says to her little sister, who's like two years younger than her, it's okay to like girl stuff and boy stuff, just like how she likes Star Wars and I like My Little Pony, just like with her. And it's all good, yeah. So how, like, there's watching the show and then there's, like, being deeply immersed in the culture. Mm -hmm. Like, how does that manifest? A lot of the themes in the show are about acceptance, Mm -hmm. about appreciating diversity and that we each bring something different to the table. We don't all have to be the quarterback. And if it was a football team full of quarterbacks, they wouldn't win anything. Right. So just taking that kind of perspective. Yeah. No, wait, I got it. I got it now. You got it. Okay. <laughs> you, you looked like you were going to say something and then. Did you oh. hear the wheels turning? In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no quarterbacks. All quarterbacks. Okay. Got it. <laughs> okay. If you were in a band and everybody was just playing clarinet, you wouldn't have a full sound. True that. I, I mean, okay. but like, let's talk about how clarinets are not as good as flutes then. No, I'm just kidding. All right. We're back on point with Brody. <laughs> I don't recall what you were playing back in the day, if at all. I forgot what a clarinet looks like. No, really? <laughs> yes. Okay, I think... We're good. We should move on quickly. <laughs> yes. Right yes. now. No. Well, no, I think that's... I I, I think Brody, Brody culture is... Oh, I remember. Okay. <laughs> So we aren't, we aren't, none of us are professional artists in terms of musicianship or anything like that. But um, I wanted to kind of quickly get back on track and ask you if, um, uh, like, growing up in Arcadia, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a very specific culture. And it's cool because some of it is, like, just not what you see in high school movies. Like, we didn't have quarterback jocks that were like the most popular kids in school like i wasn't even aware of who was on the football team because Mm -hmm. we didn't have classes with them none of them well i didn't i never felt bullied by them um cheerleaders were just kind of like whatever the only contact i had with them was through like asb like and we you know like the associated student body yes yes student government was dominated by Asians like like there was just not a sense of the same kind of divisions in high school but I think that growing up in Arcadia you know there are still things that are very entrenched in um like you had to take one path which is like you had to be really academically strong and Mm -hmm. you had to love math and science and want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer and often a lot of our friends became doctors lawyers and engineers bankers and very successful and one day i'm just gonna come begging them for money should be like i'm a poor filmmaker but like you know like (laughs) i hate those people do i hate those people honestly (sighs) no i don't but do you feel a certain way toward those people i i do feel like like, oh, man, look at those losers who took, like, that specific path. No, I don't think losers. I think that everybody has their own path. And along the way, like, now that I think I found mine, I feel good about it, you know? And I feel like I accept who I am. And I probably put in as much time as lawyers do, but to do something different. And it's 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 often, like, not recognized, but that's fine. Like, I'm happy with what I do. I think there's certain levels of success though like 
financial or comfortable success that I'm just kind of like, mm, you know. So those would be nice. Yeah. Time right. And money. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think th- that you you I think we all as we get older go through stages of like being like, oh, I wish I had that. Oh wait, I'm happy with where I am. Oh wait, I hate that again. But uh, you know, um, I'm also curious about like relationships and like you know people going to Arcadia High and like I think there's still stereotypes or or pathways that you were supposed to take you know and let's talk about those pathways that people didn't want to take you know well, i have a question uh-huh that's where you where are we talking about lgbt stuff still? yeah yeah okay. yeah what well, in high school what was your like conception and understanding and opinion albeit you know not yet matured of like lgbt stuff huh um do you want to go first and then I'll go or we no, can all I, take I turns? Okay, I'll, I'll jump in first while you're thinking about that. Um, while we were in high school, I think Prop 22 was happening, I think, which was the uh, proposition that defined marriage between a man and a woman. I forget if that was like our junior year or senior year, but it was somewhere around there. And um, I knew that we had a gay-straight alliance on campus, but... I think a lot of the clubs were just very clicky at the time and not open to other members. So um, everybody comes in with their own level of experience and level of comfort with themselves. And um, we didn't really know much. A lot has changed in the past 14, 15 years since we were in high school there. Um, I think somewhat recently there was announcement with Arcadia Schools District about transgender uh, support. Um, which I am happy to hear about because all the more representation, all the better. And nobody deserves to be in an environment that they don't feel safe. Otherwise, there's no potential to learn. But with regard to the the presence in the school, I think being gay still was very stigmatized. There were a handful of openly out um, students off the top of my head. And... They were just people. They had their own ways of being, and there were a lot of great things to appreciate about them. And I would like to think that, yeah, we didn't have that typical high school experience of people being so segregated into their own cliques that we all knew of each other. And even if we didn't know each other personally, there was some level of mutual respect and saying, oh, hey, you know, I heard of, I know this about you, but I don't know all of you. And that's okay. Yeah, I think my experience um, with um, people who were openly out, like, as I said, I went to dances with some of them, and we actually had very specific conversations, um, because we both went to, oh my gosh, I forget what the the Christian club at school was called. uh, Allies. Allies. And and we both had gone to it, but then when he came out, obviously he Mm -hmm. didn't feel welcome, and, and so... Like, we had discussions, like, theological discussions about these things. And, you know, there were no conclusions drawn. And I Mm -hmm. think when, like, everybody's conceptions of, you know, like, what does it mean to be, you know, gay or straight? Like, those are still forming in high school. Mm -hmm. And what I thought that now that I think about it, that was interesting was when there were people who were bisexual, it was like doesn't compute because it's like it's like you're either one or the other right like you're either yeah and that's still a lot of the stigma today yeah it's 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 crazy that it hasn't changed that much i mean we're like how many years out of high school i'm not gonna say but i mean we've we've told people on air how old we are but like you know that stuff hasn't changed and um that's too bad you know like that um 
that we still have very specific ways of um, boxing people in. Categorization. Yeah, categorization yeah. and things like that. But um, I think at least at that time, um, like I was never brave enough, I think, to be part of like um, the Gay Straight Alliance, you know. But I, I definitely would call people out if they said, instead of saying, oh, that's stupid, they would say, that's gay. And I was like, hey, dude. Your gay you classmate kind of is- gone away, like a little bit. That's no, kind of subsided. no. I, I think for us in the circles that we run around, yes, it's gone a little bit off the wayside. But I still hear from younger individuals that it's used in the same ways. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm out of touch. Well, on on the same note, just about some of the uh, derogatory language about uh, people with disabilities as well, um, the R word. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I can put in quotations here, like retard. Oh, yeah. I totally got called out by my aunt when I was like 10, and I never, ever used it like that again. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so those things those things exist. I, what about you, April? What was, like, kind of your experience um, in AHS? Well, I remember in ninth grade, I was sitting in world history class, and um, there is a one of my friends who was sitting, like, maybe a couple seats behind me and uh, a kid like a couple seats in front of me looked at him and kind of just said to no one in particular in the air, oh, that kid's gay. And then it turned out that he was, but at that time he had not come out yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, think about it. It's ninth grade. You're like fresh out of middle school. Like your brain is not fully formed, you know? And I was like, I looked at him and I was like, no, he's not. And then again, it's coming from a place of like, does being gay mean something negative? Exactly. And at that time, it did to me. I mean, not not that I felt that being gay was bad, but the way that it was regarded in society to call someone gay was to insult them. Right. Right. And so and then he just looked at me and he was like, hey, I didn't say it was good or bad. I just said he's gay. And I was like. It was just a very confusing. Like, yeah, like what am I supposed to do with this information? Yeah, like and I like, don't know. Like, are you right? Are you wrong? Does it matter if you're right or you're wrong? Are right. you supposed to be announcing it to class your opinions on someone's sexual orientation? Like, right. what is it? But those are the kind of weird conversations that occur when you're a kid and you haven't quite, you know, figured out. Right. This stuff. Oh, okay. To bring it back to the main topic, um, I do remember um, one person from high school that later on in life, I received a message from on Facebook along with some of my other friends who were very LGBT affirmative. And in it, he was talking about how he had overcome his demons of homosexuality through like a reparative therapy or something like that. And how unsettling it was for me and my friends to read this and like, wait, first, why is he sending it to this, us this message now? And what is he trying to accomplish? Because we were totally cool with um, anybody in whatever their uh, gender expression was or sexual orientation. And for him to come back so many years later and just send us this message out of the blue, it was a little unsettling. So me and some of the others that received this message, we got together and started thinking like, what is he trying to do? Is he trying to tell us that we're in the wrong? That because we are affirming of somebody and their authenticity, that somehow we are the ones doing damage to other people. Uh, this individual was the, the, 
the son of a pastor. So it kind of made sense where his family context was coming from. But we still thought to ourselves, like, dude, he's still gay. He's just not living authentically. And after a long discussion, we came to the conclusion, like, you know, it wasn't our place to take issue with how he decided to live out his life. If he's happy, then that's on him. But being as detached as we were, it wasn't our place to rain on his parade, even if we disagreed. And I think that was one of the harder parts. That's like a reverse, like a reverse coming out where you're like, and now, like, (laughs) yeah, it reminds me of this uh, film I saw at a a film festival once where like everybody in the film was gay. And so for them to be straight, it was like they had to come out as straight. Right. Which was, which is like, you know, it's kind of like. It makes you think. For one, uh, I think South Park did a couple episodes like that in the past. Um, huge South Park fan. I'm definitely good on trivia of that. Okay, you're, you're back in the good. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, bringing it back to the levels of shame and um, confusion, I think that's one of, the, one of the big reasons why there's so much rampant drug abuse in the gay community, especially in the Asian gay community. Um, so big drugs are like alcohol, crystal meth, cocaine, all that other kind of stuff, just to allow somebody to overcome that perception of shame and just really live in the moment as much as it's harming themselves. So we all know that we don't make the best decisions when we're under the influence. So those are some of the concerns that I have for the community as well. And not to, again, vilify being gay or anything like that, but if we had a society that could be more accepting and open to a person in their authentic form, in their way of life and way of being, there wouldn't have to be as much of a need to resort to those. Yeah, I think that even for my friend, I feel like, um, like the friend that um, she hadn't, she decided not to say anything to her parents. If I was a member of the, you know, like the gay community or the bisexual community, you know, I might be offended that she felt she was okay with that. Because I think there's a push to come out or, do you know what I'm saying? And like, maybe authentically in that moment, you know, like, it's it's not her time. It's not the conversation she can have, you know. And now um, she's thinking about, like, bringing her girlfriend home to her, her family. And, you know, like, she was talking to me about that. I was like, you know, like, eventually the conversation needs to happen. And whether you do it now or later, it's, it's just something that, you know, that you, you have to be truthful about. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the moment, maybe it's not, it's not that time. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like a tough discussion, right? Cause there's so many ranges of, like you, you mentioned even like, um, in terms of, is it the disabled community? Is that what you would, or? Uh, individuals with disabilities. Individuals with disabilities. Yeah. Cause sorry, that term changes a lot and I, yeah. I can't keep up, but, yeah. um, Person first, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Good to know. Um, <laughs> yeah. J- j- just, you know, knowing when to use the right words. But, I mean, it all comes down to sensitivity. And I guess what I want to bring it back to right now is, you know, for those who are, you know, in high school or in college and, you know, like they're listening, like, you know, what encouragement do they have? I, I mean, like, there's, there's a, it gets better campaign and things like that. But I think on the ground, like, you know, what resources are there available for people? Like, how can you, um, 
how can you still be Asian and respectful of your traditions and things like that? But, you know, like also be who you decide you want to be. Mm-hmm. Any, any, in, any insight for, for our viewers or listeners? Um, there's a lot out there. Some of the ones that come to mind, I mean, PFLAG is all across the country. It's a good place to start. Um, there's Glisten, the gay straight. Okay, I'm kind of blanking on the acronym right now, but okay, G L S E N. Uh, Glisten is another organization that is similar to the Gay Straight Alliance. Um, it hopes to educate individuals about the ranges of sexuality and sexual expression. Um, API Equality is a big organization that has representation here in Los Angeles that is trying to further those conversations as well. Uh, in fact, API Equality has a uh, website, I think it's called Q&A Spaces, um, where it has a lot of coming out stories for Asian Americans that they can either post up their own or read about other people that have come out. Um, a lot of YouTube content is out there. There's just so much more available now than there was when we were all in high school. And I think that the internet has a lot of potential for providing some support and um, gaining access to support. Well, um, in terms of even, um, we were talking about this in the last episode, which was dating and like healthy dating and things like that. And how seeing other couples date in a healthy way is like great for models of behavior. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if the YouTube videos or if there's other things like out there that really, um, aid in like, well, how do you even start this discussion? Or do you know what I'm saying? Are there, are there resources, specific resources? Um, nothing off the top of my mind. I can get back to you in a couple of days about that. <laughs> um, but I, I get what you're saying about um, what are the appropriate models of, of relationships because oftentimes we're bombarded with dysfunctional models such as reality TV or if we grow up in a home that didn't have the most loving relationship or what have you. Like, what are we putting in terms of context to whatever relationship that we're in and how do we determine if it's healthy are you a dan savage fan um not off the top no oh do you know who i'm talking about uh very very little exposure to dan savage yeah yeah savage love savage love yeah i don't know he's great i was like super obsessed with his podcast for a while and it really like broadened my horizons when it came to like all kinds of relationships that exist and mm-hmm. really placing no judgment um or you know very little judgment on like diff- the really really extremely wide spectrum of like romantic and sexual relationships mm-hmm. it, it sounds like i would be a fan but i just haven't had that much exposure well you know check it out kind of thing yeah. <laughs> she's like get on that get on that right now savage love um shout out for, for i have to savage. say like i so he's like you know obviously he's like one of the leading lgbt like i don't know advocates just the most eloquent intelligent person um and i was just such a fan and i was on a dating site and like as one of my interests i like put you know savage love podcast and i like within a week got two emails from women and but i was like you know i was you know a woman (laughs) straight woman you know looking for men only and so i was so perplexed i was like why are these women like emailing me and like asking me out 
and it took me like a week to realize like oh yeah because i added that thing <laughs> maybe i thought you meant they were like like going yeah dan savage i thought they were those kinds of emails <laughs> no they were like were they like we think? can listen to the podcast and cuddle? <laughs> i was uh surprised and flattered okay so therapy cards flashcards. Wait, explain what i don't know are. if anybody finds this in any way interesting or fun what do you think we should we should just do it for a little while and see what happens. Okay, it's all about experimentation with this podcast. Okay, because we I, don't know what's gonna happen next. All so right, I bought these therapy flashcards at Barnes and Noble. Okay, in the little tchotchke section, and uh, you know they're meant to be tongue in cheek, but this is a lot of of like you know terms that are therapy related. Mm-hmm. So usually we have you pick one out in random, you know, read the word, read the definition, and whatever else on the back, and then talk about. You know, whatever it comes to, whatever comes to mind, how it might relate to you or your experiences or whatever. Okay, so basically, free associating with some of yes, these. Yes, exactly. All right, spending a lot of time. I like is. All right, the card is rationalization. <laughs> Great card. <laughs> this, this sounds like it's gonna go down fun paths. <laughs> All right. Rationalization. On the back, it has a definition. It says, defense mechanism in which an individual unconsciously finds plausible explanations to justify reasonable or intolerable behavior or feelings, thereby concealing true motivations. Okay. Uh, oh, man. So the first thing... There's a little things, cartoon on the back. Oh, the little cartoon. Um, it is of, I think, two soldiers. And the quote says... Uh, as I always say, act now. Concoct a rationalization tomorrow. Oh, no. Okay. I guess it works. <laughs> Yellow. <laughs> Funny you should bring that up. That YOLO is a great rationalization to do whatever you want. I don't agree with it, but people end up doing that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that people rationalize to just justify behavior. Like the whole, don't judge me kind of thing whenever you hashtag at the end or like just finish a sentence with that i don't ever see that on hashtags do you don't judge me do you see that maybe maybe we like don't like do things that or put things up on facebook that you would We're get judged for interesting people basically yeah oh man uh maybe you're not friends with a lot of people that just rationalize a lot of the behaviors <laughs> that's true um that, that would be the hope but i doubt it's true <laughs> So much can be said about this. Um, Do you ever look back in times in your life when you might have rationalized certain actions? Like the whole it made sense at the time kind of thing? I'm trying not to remember those things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On the whole, though, rationalization can be dangerous. Um, A lot of times it's hard to see things for the truth, for how they really affect the way you live or... Um, just the impact that they have on your everyday. Um, we all want to believe in meritocracy and some of these other things, but I think a lot of evidence is proving otherwise. Name one small rationalization that you make to yourself every day. Not every day, it doesn't have to be, but it's, it's one of those ones where it just slips in. Like for me, I'm like, mm, I worked really hard. I deserve to buy myself a food item. Yeah, I fall into that. Um, to contrast that, let me think of something else. I rationalize, like, if I can spend time with this one person, 
um, and just hang out, I'll still have enough time to do all the rest of the things that I need to do. Like, I can just do it that much quicker because I'm pressed for time and I'm a procrastinator. Yes. So that's, I think, how it manifests in my life. How about you, Vanessa? Oh, no, you already gave an example. Yeah, wait, I think you should uh, pick up a flashcard now. Oh, what, really? Or are we just doing one? Wait, do I'll we do it since I didn't do it last time? Okay. <laughs> Fanning it for myself, choosing it for myself. <sighs> Inferiority complex. A collection of repressed fears and resentments associated with inferiority resulting in unresolved feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, and self-criticism, especially in comparison with others, characterized by overcompensation, acting out, withdrawal, insecurity, timidity, pedicism, dot, 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 woe is me syndrome. And then there are a lot of little boys blowing bubbles, and one of them says, he has such an inferiority, inferiority, <laughs> he has such an inferiority complex about the size of his bubbles. I feel like this is all of Arcadia High. When you're constantly comparing, like there's no escaping these things. But go ahead, Riff. Um, well, I was just telling you that story about how... So I just moved into an apartment and um, I made the apartment all nice and I've been like, you know haunting pinterest like a lot lately and like really like working on like finding the aesthetic the perfect aesthetic which is like clean lines almost everything white with splashes of color so like i bought this like fake cowhide rug that's amazing and i got this perfect chair at target that's like beautiful and like new duvet and just everything is great looking and then i kind of stood back and was really happy with how it turned out and then i was like ugh my life is pointless. <laughs> that's kind of what wow, I that's pretty harsh. every time I look at my room that I kind of love, but also kind of makes me feel like I have nothing in my life to live for. <laughs> so yeah, Not I have a pretty good, I have a pretty good one when it comes to an inferiority complex. Mm. Vanessa, I think you also addressed that, that that's pretty much all of Arcadia high. Yeah. I felt similarly, that no matter how good you felt you were, there was always somebody like that much better and people rubbed it in your face that they were that much better. Um, I think because we had a sense of everybody is trying to measure themselves on the same rubric rather than just being the most best version of themselves, that's how it's easy to fall into that inferiority complex. And uh, oddly enough, I was able to return to Arcadia High while I was doing my school counseling hours for my program and it had only gotten worse since we were students because there's such a high achieving uh, populace that um, you could be excellent at something and still feel like you weren't good enough. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 spiraling out of control actually mm -hmm. because the amount of kids trying to get in college, you know, like oh, that, those, those markers become, you know, higher and higher. It, I mean, it's probably going to become Asia at a certain point where like getting into, you know, like what used to be safety schools like UCR could become really competitive and mm -hmm. like, because, you know, those are the only places that will take this, you know, like a three, like I had a 3.8 unweighted, which like now 
that's crap. Like, that's not good enough. And it wasn't good enough to get into UCLA, I can tell you that. Um, well, yeah, but that's, like, let's not talk about the UCs, because it's a goddamn lottery. Oh, yeah, that's that's true, too. I, I guess, I guess like, in general... Speaking t- as someone who's bitter about not getting into Berkeley. Oh, I was bitter about that, too. And, you know, you know I think um, it just... Uh, yeah, it just fuels... Keeps fueling itself, like, just, like... This abyss. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. My, my dad, he still brings up, like, I'm 31 years old. He still brings up things like, so this is how I think that people get into Ivy League colleges. And he has what inside knowledge? I don't know. Some weird dad theory. Yeah, but um, regarding that, a lot, of, a lot of the Asian American parents just don't understand the college application process and they overestimate what their chances are into getting into these schools and sometimes like when i was doing some of the college advisement stuff i had to just break it be like these are your numbers these are their minimums something's not matching up Mm -hmm. and it's nothing against you as a person it's just saying that this school is not going to be a a viable option for you you definitely need to choose some other ones that you can consider to be either a a mid-range or a safety and everybody can get to a successful life how often are you going to hold yourself back because you didn't get to what somebody else thought was supposed to be your path i think that's the pep talk that every asian american should give themselves every morning Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really it doesn't really stop after high school, right? It it kind of continues on and becomes ingrained in different aspects of Oh, very life. much so. Yeah, and I think at at the age that we're at, we're seeing a lot of people and uh on Facebook like, "Oh, I just bought a house or I'm mm-hmm. having another child mm-hmm. or you know, these are my awesome engagement photos in some exotic place." I'm mm-hmm. like, "Okay, I don't need to see that for one." <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I can be happy for you, but all this social comparison isn't doing me any benefit right now. Mm-hmm. And you just have to be able to take into context your own life, your own decisions, and appreciate what you have, as difficult as that can be. Right. I, I think um, one thing that I always struggle with is how to have high expectations for myself, but also like give myself breaks, forgive myself, um, be grateful for what I have, things like that that are just like changing that. So like... Um, you know, I always have different markers for myself and they're like short achievable things. And that's how I get to my happy place. Like, did I, you know, did I set, like, if I set out to do just one thing today, did I do it? Mm-hmm. You know? And like, what, what is that for you? For myself, um, every little bit of progress towards the greater goal. I'm very much a big picture thinker. So breaking it down into smaller goals, measurable goals, is something that I have struggled with. Um, Especially with Therapist of Color that I'm trying to do right now, it's a huge, huge project, and it's the accumulation of everything that I've done in my past careers and interests. So I'm very invested in it, and I'm taking a huge risk in, in trying to push for this. But I have to have faith that this is something that is worthwhile and that other people can be excited about it too. And so as long as I can feel that my level of energy can be received and um, become infectious, I think that is what definitely helps propel me. But with regard to like the daily goals, 
Um, sometimes I struggle with that. Sure, sure. Um, um, no, good advice. I think um, we're probably going to wrap up. I want to do two things. One, I want to mention that Sid's an ENFJ. How do you know that? Did he tell you? Because I told her. Is that the same thing as you? No, I'm an ENFP. Okay. So he likes things more scheduled and deadline. What's that called? The teacher. I'm so glad that this came up because I I didn't know if you wanted to bring it back or something like that, but I find a lot of joy in doing the whole like curiosity thing. So what did you say? I blacked out and I didn't have <laughs> excitement. I didn't hear what you said. Yes. ENF, whatever. What ENF, ENFJ. So um, I'm an ENFP, which means um, Sid as a J um, likes more structure. What he likes it deadlines. It's called the teacher. And I'm called the champion. And you're an INFJ. Yeah. And that's the counselor. So a lot of NFs up in this room, which means a lot of like abstract concepts being thrown around, a lot of metaphors and anecdotes and things like that. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, this has been... The Bull and the Badger podcast. And thank you, Sid, for coming out. Thank you.